And the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. A feeling of expectancy had grown among the people who were beginning to think that John might be the Christ. So John declared before them all, I baptized you with water, but someone is coming, someone who is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to undo the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now when all the people had been baptized, and while Jesus, after his own baptism, was at prayer, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily shape, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. My favor rests on you. The Gospel of the Lord. In our gospel today, we have a great opportunity to understand not only our own baptism, but also what it means to be Christian. We have Jesus's baptism, but it's not just a regular baptism like our own. It really announces to us the very reality of what the purpose of Christ coming into this world is all about. Jesus's life is really a mysterious life for us. So if we break this gospel apart, we find a couple different aspects to it. First, we have the very action of what is taking place here. And to understand it, we need to look in the greater context of salvation. We have here Jesus at prayer and the heavens opening up. We might overlook that fact right here, that the heavens are opening up. But why do the heavens need to open up in the first place? They were closed. They got closed to us because Adam and Eve closed them. Adam and Eve closed them because they chose to not follow God. They chose to do their own thing. And many of our our own decisions in life cause us to sin. And that is the result of our own free will, our own choice. But Christ instituted the sacrament of reconciliation so that we could be restored to him. And that, right now, in baptism, is the ultimate action in which God opened the heavens so that through our baptism and through the sacrament of reconciliation, which is a continuation of that action, we can be restored to the opportunity to enter into heaven. So the heavens are being rent open, literally ripped open for us in the Greek, which is a powerful action to think about, that the heavens are being opened. But that action isn't enough in itself. Hansers von Balthasar, one of the great German theologians of our modern time, said that the action of the heavens being opened in the baptism was not enough in itself, because for the heavens to be opened doesn't allow us to yet get there. They're just open for us. So if you think about it, we could be lying out on the beach here in Sydney at any one of your favorite beaches. I've been to a couple of them since I've been here now. They're all beautiful. Wish I could stay here. (laughs) Have to unfortunately get back to work eventually. But 
you could be laying on the beach staring at the heavens being ripped open for you to view and the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of all the angels that are up there. But unless there was a path for us to get there, none of the saints would be there. None of us could get there. So the baptism itself would mean nothing. Our salvation would mean nothing because ultimately salvation only means something if there's a place to go. So baptism is a baptism in the Holy Spirit only because the cross is the continuation of that baptism through fire. So what John the Baptism says is that the one who is coming after me will baptize you both in water and in fire. What John the, baptism, what John the Baptist is saying is that Jesus is going to baptize you in the water and in fire. Well, the water is the baptism of, that we're celebrating today, which we celebrate when we're baptized, and when others are baptized, we have a new baptism that took place yesterday right here, which is a great and exciting moment. But we also have the baptism in fire, which we formally celebrate as in part of confirmation, but more so it's in the passion of the cross. That's where the fire comes in, and that is the bridge. It's through the cross that actually allows you to get into heaven. And so what we see happening is so when the heavens are ripped open, and God speaks, and the Spirit is manifested in the form of a dove, we see an action playing out, a Trinitarian God playing out. Where else do we see that playing out but in the book of Genesis? If you go back to the first chapter of Genesis, it's actually a really beautiful story to look at the creation account. And why? Because if you actually look at Genesis, you see that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And then God spoke. And all of a sudden, things start happening. But if you actually go and reflect on each of those passages right there, what you have taking place is God who is willing an action, the word of God who is making it possible, and then the one who is doing the action is the spirit. The spirit is the actor. When we look at the Trinity, what is the Trinity? But God, who is love, gives his love entirely to the Son. And so Jesus is love as well. And Jesus returns that love back to the Father. That's the sacrificial love. That's what he does on the cross for us. And that giving back and forth of entirely self-emptying love, that gift, complete gift of emptying out, that is the very action of what the Holy Spirit is. It's the complete emptying of God to the Son and the complete emptying of the Son back to the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. And it's in that very reality, that transition of between the Father and the Son, that the Holy Spirit is. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit now all of a sudden manifesting between the Father and the Son in the baptism in the form of a dove, we immediately should call to mind Noah the dove who brought the peace branch, the olive branch, back to the ark, a symbol of the church, a symbol of peace, a symbol of love. Why? Because the dove not only represents love and peace, but it's the action in which brought hope to Noah. It was the action in which God used throughout the Old Testament to be a symbol to the different 
ages throughout the Old Testament as a sign of something greater coming. So the, the dove not only was a symbol to the Old Testament as an action of God that was about to take place, but it was something that they recognized immediately as God being involved immediately. So when God chose to manifest the Holy Spirit as a dove in the baptism, all those gathered right there would have immediately said, not only is God present right here, something's going to happen. And something did happen. They heard a loud thundering voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. Listen to him. I don't know about you, but that would have creeped the heck out of me. Could you imagine standing right there? I'm pretty sure I would have listened. I don't know about you, but I would have. But what is significant about this is that when we look at the baptism, it's not just a moment. It's not just an action, but there's more to it. There's a purpose to the baptism. And to understand the fullness of what baptism means it helps us if we look at the different actions of what takes place after Jesus was baptized. And to do that, we have to go a little bit beyond our gospel. Unfortunately, when this is my pet peeve with those who wrote the uh, lectionary, is they always looked at events and not salvation acts. So if we look at the salvific acts, you have to go a little bit further, a couple passages longer and not just the event of the baptism itself. If you go, take a couple passages longer, you actually get the Holy Spirit then leading Jesus out into the desert. It's significant. So if we look at all three synoptic gospels to get a sense of this, in Luke, the term that's used in Greek is ago. You're going to get a little Greek lesson here. So ago. And in Matthew, he used anago. And in Mark, he uses the word ekbalo. I'll explain why in a second. I need two volunteers. I already asked ahead of time. So Joel and Tim, if you guys would come up and just hang tight right here. And if you're wondering why Joel's in a soccer jersey and a, with a soccer ball, because if you didn't know, baptism and soccer go hand in hand. <laughs> and I'll explain why. All right. So in Greek, ago means to lead. So the Holy Spirit, as soon as Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus right into the desert. So you have the baptism. You have Jesus all of a sudden having the Holy Spirit come down upon him and God saying, this is my beloved son. And then immediately after that, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert. Anyone can tell me what happens in the desert? The temptations. By who? And the devil uses what to tempt him? Scripture. Okay, right. So... Be watchful of the devil using scripture, okay? But to get back to that, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert. But the word lead is kind of misleading for us in English because the word lead doesn't really say exactly what the Holy Spirit did. But if we look and understand the word in Greek, ago, ago literally means the Holy Spirit grabbed Jesus by the arm and dragged him to a certain direction, to a certain place. Jesus really didn't have a choice in this. Literally, God's will was that he had to go into the desert for 40 days. This was part of God's plan. So there was a direction of purpose. So baptism has a direction of purpose. It's not just something you do and then sit back and do nothing. 
you're baptized into a faith community. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And as a baptized person, as one who's part of the body of Christ, it's helpful to understand that what you're being baptized into is being baptized into the very reality of what Christ underwent. And so when Christ was baptized, he was immediately dragged into the desert by the Holy Spirit. So don't think you're going to escape that because you were baptized into it, just as I was, and just as Jesus was dragged into, led by the Holy Spirit, by the arm, that's what Luke uses, into the desert. Now, in Matthew's gospel, he uses anago, which means he was literally led up a mountain, so a little bit more forceful. All right? Now, Mark, I love Mark the best because his term is a lot better, I think, in describing what, the way this sounds. Both terms in Luke and in Matthew are towards a direction. It's not just leading into the desert you know, without a purpose. There, you're being led by the Spirit to a particular destination as if the Spirit knew exactly where the Satan was. Jesus had to conquer the devil. And so God's whole point at that point was that the Spirit had to lead Jesus directly to him so that he could be tempted to conquer the devil right then and there. So that Jesus' first mission after becoming manifested by God the Father to the world was to conquer the devil and then to start public ministry. That's the first action. So Jesus conquers Satan, then starts ministry. That's what he does. Overcome evil, then, then public ministry. So when we think about our own ministry, our own lives, you first have to get your own house in order. You have to get your own life in order before you can help someone else. You're no good to anybody else if you can't get your own self in order. You can't give what you don't have, is what St. John always says. The Gospel of John is very rich in that idea, is that you have to help yourself get your life in order in order to be a successful person of God, in order to minister to someone else. Now, in Mark's gospel, ekbalo, the great term, is to literally drive someone out. In Greek, that's the same word still used today, to kick a soccer ball, which is why we have a soccer ball. Now, when you kick a soccer ball, I'm a huge fan of soccer ball, Premier League fan here. We were watching uh, some soccer yesterday. Now, when you kick a soccer ball, for those who watch soccer, it was a little disappointing yesterday, but besides that, you don't just randomly kick it on the pitch anywhere. You have a purpose. You have a goal that you're trying to accomplish to get points, to win a game. And therefore, you want to work with a team. You have a particular direction you're going to head in to hopefully end up in the goal zone. <laughs> and if you would demonstrate, please, guys. So there's control, there's focus. Thank you, guys. Give them a round of applause, please. There's control and there's focus. So just as, as athletes, they focus, they practice, they spend a great deal of time working on developing their skill in order to have that focus and that control. The same is true with us in the Christian life, that we have to practice our skill. We have to develop that skill in order to have that control and that focus so that we can be successful in the spiritual life. We can't just go out there and hope that we can be successful Christians without 
putting the effort and the time in now. That's part of what it takes. And that's part of why I like the term that Mark uses a little bit more so than Matthew and Luke. Ekbalo is more significant in that regard because if you're driving out, literally the Holy Spirit is kicking Jesus into the desert with a particular direction, like a soccer ball is being kicked towards the goal. There's no question about the direction, the purpose, and the nature of what baptism is. Jesus gets baptized, not because he needs baptism himself, but because we need it. Jesus does not need baptism for himself. We need it. And so he is baptized because he took on human flesh for us, not for himself. He did not have to become human. He did it for us, out of love for us. And so everything he does is for us. He does not need to do it. We needed him to do it. And so he took on humanity at Christmas when we celebrated the Nativity because we needed him to do it. And he loved us enough to want to do it. And so when we celebrate now today his baptism, again, we're celebrating an action of Christ entering into the waters and taking on the weight of the world. Not because he wanted to do it out of any other reason than love for us. And that's the power and the beauty of this today. And that's what Isaiah told us in our first reading, is that that's how we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, is because he brings together both the power and the glory and the majesty of God, and yet the beauty and the simplicity of the mercy and the love and forgiveness that comes with the true shepherd that God is. And so as we go forward today, think about the direction and the purpose in your own life. How are you living your life? Are you taking the time now to put in the practice and the effort by spending time in prayer, by maybe reading the life of a saint that you might find appealing, by maybe reading about the life of the Australian saint here, or another saint, by reading the scriptures, the best source that you can of growing in the life of Christ. Take the time now to practice your faith by doing great works of charity it's one of the best ways you can to grow in the faith. If you put the effort in now, just like an athlete puts the effort in, not only will you grow in the skills to become a great success in the Christian life, but then as the Spirit literally kicks you into the desert, ekbalo, remember that term, okay? Then when you encounter the devil, you will be able to overcome him, just as Christ did. And you will be able to recognize the devil's deception, just as Christ recognized the devil's deception. But if you don't put the time in, and you don't put the effort in, you may not succeed in overcoming those obstacles. And that would be the biggest mistake, is to not put the time in. So don't waste the time now. We're talking about eternity. That's a long time. It's worth taking a few minutes now for the rest of eternity.